0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, and today we will be taking verses 1 through 14. So In Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, the Holy Scriptures read, And at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and so they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests were in the temple, and on the Sabbath they profane the Sabbath, and they are also guiltless? I tell you, though, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus went out from there and he entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me and for me as we begin? Father, we ask again this week that you would be our teacher and our guide through the power of your Spirit. Help me not to give man's thoughts, man's opinions, but only yours as revealed in your perfectly written word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout history, there have been many inventions that were created that were intended for good, but then were twisted and ultimately used for great evil. For example... Kids will know this one. TNT, which is, let's see if I can say this, Thai Nitro Toll u whatever. It was invented, TNT, in 1863 by a German chemist named Joseph Wilbrand. And his goal wasn't to blow stuff up. It was actually to create a special honey-colored yellow dye to be used for clothing. And it wasn't until three, day, three decades later after this that people figured out it could be used to blow stuff up. and So that's what they started doing. So in World War I, the German, arm, the German army, they began using it in their artillery shells because it was, it was like stable enough where it wouldn't just light off randomly. You actually had to put a, wick, a fuse through it and give a demolition charge to it. So they began using it for their artillery shells, and it worked quite well. And so TNT's use in military weaponry exploded after that, eh, got that, and that was, that was cringe. But anyways, they went on to be used for mortar shells, hand grenades, and even atomic bombs. And why? Because somebody's invention, which was meant for good, ultimately was repurposed for evil. When it comes to another invention, a little fun if you heard of this, it's called the internet. And the internet Despite common misconceptions, and I better give you a spoiler alert here, but it wasn't actually invented by Al Gore. The internet goes back longer than that. It goes back to the late 1960s where a company, a group called the NWG, which stands for Network Working Group, say that 10 times fast, who led the way for creating the first sub-network that allowed devices to communicate. And though the Internet was originally intended for good, I could give you numerous examples of this, but I'll just give you one, it has, it has become a massive force of evil in this world. They have entire divisions within the U.S. government's military, or different gov- world government's militaries that are dedicated to cyber attacks. For example, this is a problem because today we have Wi-Fi networks that connect people's computers, their TVs, their media centers, their phones, their security cameras, which includes baby monitors, and their thermostats, and even their refrigerators. And if you have that, that's weird. I don't understand what that's doing for you in any way, shape, or form. But with these always-connected devices comes the always-at-risk possibility of hackers getting into your network and using it for a malicious purpose. For instance, in December of 2014... Over 750,000 Wi-Fi devices in people's homes were hacked and turned into what's called botnets, which is basically a server that you now own and the people don't know about it on their computer, which you can use for all sorts of purposes, including sending out hundreds of thousands of emails to people. Another example, a few years ago, a Russian website appeared showing live footage from over 70,000 hacked cameras in people's homes where they could see exactly what was going on, hear exactly what was going on, and the people in the home didn't know at all about the intrusion that had happened. And why? Because someone's invention that was used and meant for good was repurposed for evil, This happens all the time with things. You heard of this one, Zyklon B. Saying that right? Zyklon B? Zyklon Zyklon B, I think. Anyways, it was originally created to be used as a delousing agent for clothing and to disinfect ships, trucks, and other cargo vessels. However, years later, it was used by the German army. I don't know why it's always the German army. But it was used by the German army as it was repurposed for the concentration camps to kill over one million people. And why? because someone's invention that was meant for good was repurposed for evil. One more. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then six days later, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all of the host in them. And then on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so this seventh day was blessed by God in the creation to be a day of rest. It was a day of blessing for his people. And then later on in Exodus chapter 20, we see that blessing, that day of rest, being used for The same thing, but in a slightly different way. In Exodus 28 through 10, here were the instructions, a part of the law. It said, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. And why? Why? goes back to Genesis. For in six days, God, the Lord God, made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. And so what happened then to this wonderful invention by God that he created? Well, it was turned from being a force for good into a force for evil. And how? Well, it was turned from being a day of rest into a day of labor. That's what happened to the fourth commandment. It was twisted this way. The fourth commandment reads, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This was a command given by God to the Israelite nation that was intended for their good. It was a part of the covenant that they had. However, what happened, and we'll see this in our text today, the religious leaders took this Sabbath day of rest and they warped it, they perverted it, Into actually unrest. So the rest became unrest. And so then along comes Jesus in our text this morning offering to remove this heavy burden as we saw last week and give true rest. Remember, that's what we closed with last week with our sermon. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's Jesus' offer. Well, how can he do that? Why can he do that? Well, for three reasons. Te- two reasons, and our text shows us this: Jesus can offer Sabbath rest because one, he is Lord of the Sabbath, and secondly, he's greater than the Sabbath. Unlike the Pharisees, the yoke that Jesus offered was a yoke of rest. They weren't offering a yoke of yet of rest, were they? And we read about the yoke that they offered in Matthew chapter 23. It was tiresome, it was heavy. I'm not exaggerating here. The way this worked was that the Pharisees, they took God's laws, and remember, God's laws are not arbitrary. They're given for a purpose, and it's always for a good purpose. And so they took God's laws, and then they made laws around the laws to protect people from breaking the laws that they shouldn't break. And then when they broke the laws that protected them from the laws, they got in trouble just like they broke the laws. So they set up this man-made system around God's laws. There's a theologian that I've been looking at lately. His name's Dr. Arnold, it's a, it's a funny last name, Fruchtenbaum. And he points out, a little fruity, but points out that when it comes to the fourth commandment, which is the Sabbath, by the time the Pharisees were done putting up their fences around the Sabbath, you know how many laws they put up? Around 1,500, just around the Sabbath. That's a lot of laws. All right, I, I still forget my own phone number. There's no way I'm going to remember 1,500 laws. And so then along comes Jesus, who seems to go out of his way. Like we're going to keep seeing this throughout Matthew. He almost goes out of his not almost he does go out of his way to step all over their stupid little man made laws. He's like I'm going I'm to be brazen about. It. I'm going to show you how much I don't care about your little man made laws. And he kind of rubs it in their face. And this was a really big deal for them, because the Sabbath was a huge deal in Jewish culture. To break it was even punishable by death in the Old Testament. So what happened here was, you think back in Matthew chapter 9, the Pharisees, they were were upset. Why? Well, because Jesus was hanging out with sinners. He was hanging out with the prostitutes, the drunkards, the tax collectors, all of them. And they're like, okay, that's not okay. But when he went on to attack their Sabbath laws, the gloves came off. They were not going to put up with that because when Jesus attacked their Sabbath laws... He was actually attacking their power. He was attacking their authority. He was, and consequently, he was even attacking their source of income. You don't mess with that. And so Matthew is now showing us how the Messiah has come. And in chapter 12, there's a massive transition here. It goes from Jesus offering the kingdom to the Jews to outright rejection, total rejection from the religious leaders, which then trickles down to the people. And so Matthew is showing us that Jesus' disregard of the Pharisees' 1,500 Sabbath laws was a big part of what led Jesus to the cross. So here's how this worked. For the Jewish people, their authority was the word of God, right? So you couldn't just get up and just be like, hey, just do this, 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 this. They'd be like, ah, says who? Like, well, says me. Who cares? What does God say? And so that was their authority. It was the, it was the word of God. And so back then, if you were going to tell people what to do, you had to ground it in God's authority. And so this is how they did it with these 1,500 Sabbath laws. You know how they did it? The same old lie that pretty much goes back to the garden. God told me. God told me this is what we have to do, and you better do it or you're going against God. That's what they did. That's how they established this. There's a huge explanation here, but I'm going to simplify this instead of outright saying though that god told them, you know, in a dream or in a whisper in the night or some, you know, spooky thing like that, what they did was they got a little more creative here. They didn't come out and just say god told me. They said god told Moses. Eh. So if you go against this, you're actually going against Moses, and Moses, he was he was top stuff in their in their eyes. You didn't question Moses. Moses was, you know, he was the most humble man to ever exist. He spoke with god. And so they said, God told Moses. And so here's how, they, here's how they justified this. What they said was that when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he, sure, he wrote down the things God told him to write down, but he didn't write down all of them. And so when Moses came down, he went to the religious leaders of that day, and he said, hey, let me tell you what God says about the Sabbath. Yeah, this is what we wrote down, but this is, how, this is what it means. This is how you apply it. This is what it looks like in everyday operation. And so that oral tradition was then passed down over the years, over the years, over the years, until it was finally written down in this thing called the Mishnah. And the Jews had that, and they used that then as being a divinely inspired understanding of how to do the Sabbath. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's how they justified it. And if you didn't follow all their 1,500 Sabbath rules that they got from God told me, which is really Moses told me, then you were a lawbreaker. And that was a really big deal. Because as we said, if you broke the Sabbath laws... In the Old Testament, that led to death. So in our passage here, Jesus and his disciples, here's how this starts. They're walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. all right. And if you know anything about these 1,500 laws, they were already breaking about four of them by what they did in this opening section here. And the Pharisees are over there, they're like, hey, look at them. Let's get them. That's how this starts. Uh, Dr. Fuchtenbaum, Fuchtenbaum, he says this, explain how they violated four of the 1,500 rules just by verse two alone. Here's what he says. He says, first, when they took the wheat off the stalk, this is the disciples who did this, they were guilty of reaping. Uh Uh-oh. Secondly, when they rubbed the wheat in their hands in order to separate the chaff from it so they could eat it. I mean, we don't usually eat food like this, so the best illustration I can think of is a sunflower seed. You take the shell off, you eat what's inside. Okay, that's what they kind of had to do with the wheat to eat it. So they had to rub it together. Anyways, you get the idea. So when they did that, they were guilty of threshing. Third, when they blew into their hands to blow the chaff away, they were guilty of winnowing. Because that's how it worked with this. You had to get the stuff off of it, right? You blew it off, typically. Sometimes you'd throw it up in the air, and then it'd blow it away, and then you could pick up the stuff on the ground. Fourthly, this is the really dumb one. When they swallowed the wheat, they were guilty of storing food. That's some crazy legalism. All right, now one more thing before we jump a little further into this. And you need to know something here. The disciples, they, didn't, they weren't stealing. The Pharisees weren't upset. They weren't like, oh man, look, they're stealing stuff out of that farmer's field. No, they weren't. Back in Jewish culture, this was an acceptable thing. It was, it was a part of the, the social laws that helped you know, the outcasts, those who uh, didn't have much money, the downtrodden, that sort of thing. We see this in Deuteronomy 23, 24 through 25. And this is how this worked. If you go to your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go to your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the years with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So the point was, in this Jewish system, travelers coming by, you know, it wasn't like they had McDonald's at this time yet, so they were traveling along and sometimes they would need food. And so what they would do is they typically wouldn't harvest the outsides of the field that were by the roads, so when people were walking along, they could just, oh, thank you, rub it together, eat it, that sort of thing. And so they were allowed to do this without having to pay anyone. However, at the same time, as this verse points out, if they pulled up with their pickup truck, you know, and just started loading things up in the back and took off, well, then that was stealing, and then they absolutely would be violating the thou shalt not steal commandment. Point is, the issue here is that the Pharisees aren't accusing them of stealing. It's outright an accusation of you are breaking God's Sabbath laws. And the implication here, which eventually comes to it in verse 14, is you are worthy of death. And so with this backdrop in mind, Jesus begins in verse 3 to show them why their 1500 man-made rules that they allegedly got from Moses are completely ridiculous. That's what he's showing them, and he uses a few illustrations, well two illustrations and then one healing to show all this. So, the first analogy that Jesus gives, it's the story of David and what he did at Nob in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And what happened in that situation was David shows up, he's running for his life with his merry men, and he shows up, and they're, they're starving. They're super hungry. And so what does David do? He goes to the, sa- the temporary sanctuary that was set up there, and he goes to the priest, and he says, give me the consecrated bread. And they're like, whoa, wait, what do you mean? And so he finally takes it, and then him and his men eat it. And so Jesus is like, hey, Pharisees, let me ask you a question. you got, I mean, you got Moses and you got David. These are people they highly esteem, right? So that's, they, they, these are their role models in a lot of ways, all right? So Jesus says, hey, I got a question for you. What's up with David here then? If my disciples are breaking the rules by walking through this grain field and grabbing things like this and, you know, just rubbing it and putting it in their mouth, what about David? He did this on the Sabbath. Why, why isn't that a problem? So what's Jesus' point here then? Why is he bringing this up? Is it simply to say if David can break the rules, then so can I? no is it merely two wrongs make a right no of course not that would be a terrible and unbiblical argument that's not what jesus is saying so what's jesus's point well he has two points commentators go a little bit around on this but i think he's making two points here he's saying one your man-made laws are ridiculous and two i'm the lord of the sabbath that's his response to him and boy does this light them up Okay, first off, how does this show that their man-made laws were ridiculous? It shows this because the Pharisees, I just said a second ago, they had a super high view of David. He was up there with Moses, and they revered them both. And so if the oral tradition was passed on from Moses down to them, well, this is interesting. Certainly David would have received that. He's after Moses between them. You know, he's right between the two. Why wouldn't David have done this if the oral tradition was so common and passed down? Oops. He's pointing out the flaw in their thinking. Clearly, David has no regard for their 1,500 man made Sabbath laws. Not at all. And so, Jesus is pointing out to them according to your oral tradition, David is a Sabbath breaking, traveling, holy bread eating sinner who is worthy of death. He's like, So, is that the case, guys? They're like, We don't want to talk about this anymore. He's got him. The Pharisees have to pick. Either David should be stoned or the God told me argument didn't hold up. And spoiler alert, it never holds up. Somebody tells you that, run. All right. Secondly, what is this Lord of the Sabbath stuff all about? Well, this gets slightly complicated, so you've got to buckle up here because otherwise you're going to get left in the dust. All right. What's the overarching point that Jesus is making to the Pharisees in verses 1 through 14? What's his point? Don't answer that too quickly. That's actually a tough question. This one really kind of made me, I had to wrestle with this one a bit this last week. Here's what I think it is. It's found in verses 7 through 8. Look at verses 7 through 8. Now, I think this is two ideas that are kind of packaged into one idea. And Here's what it is. Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, desires mercy and not sacrifice. I'll say it again. The idea Jesus is, is, is reiterating here, he's saying, Jesus, me, Jesus, not me, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he desires mercy and not sacrifice. That's the point of the Sabbath laws. Mercy, not sacrifice. That's, that's vaguely familiar, isn't it? I feel like we've heard that before. Mercy, not sacrifice. Well, we have. Think back a few months, and you'll remember that Jesus quoted that verse back in Matthew chapter 9 when the Pharisees were upset with him. Why? For eating with sinners. And in in response to that situation back in chapter 9 and in chapter 11 here, Jesus quotes Hosea chapter 6, which says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of god rather than burnt offerings that's hosea chapter 6 and so this fits with both the illustration of david and the second illustration of the priests who are in the temple and jesus goes out of his way to like use like strong language here he says the priests in the temple who are profaning the sabbath they're not just breaking it they're profaning it he's like hey look the priests are profaning it David and then the priest both did. So what's the deal here, guys? Now, first off, is Jesus' point simply that they break the rules so he can too? You already asked that question. What was the answer? No, that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is simply that there is something greater here. That's what's going on. All right, now think about this. What is the greater thing that is happening with David's situation? All right. With David, he could eat the consecrated bread. Why? Because he was just a standard Joe? No. Certainly a part of this was the fact that he was God's anointed king. And so David was the greater than those Sabbath laws. With the priests, they could work on the Sabbath. Why? Because something greater was there. What was the greater thing that was there that enabled the priest to work on the Sabbath? temple. It's the temple. The temple was this great thing in Israel's mind, all right? And so because the temple had preeminence over Sabbath laws, this is Jesus's point, that's why they profaned every Sabbath. They're breaking Sabbath laws. Like, think about it. If you're going to kill animals and stuff and do all this work, I mean, read the Old Testament. This was an exhaustive stuff that they regularly did. And so they were certainly regularly breaking Sabbath. Sabbath laws and they did so because something greater was there that demanded so all right so what Jesus is saying he's saying hey Pharisees not only do you misunderstand the purpose of the Sabbath laws but you miss the greater that is before you and his point is simple that there is something greater there with him and his disciples than even David and even the temple What's the greater? Him. He is the greater than even the temple. Do you see why this infuriated them? I mean, Sabbath was up here. Temple was even higher. Like, this was Jewish pride. This was at the core of their identity. And Jesus is like, guess what? I'm here. I'm greater than all that. I'm here to replace all that. No wonder they killed him. Jesus is the greater. Christ, the Son of the living God, who as Jesus tells us outright in this chapter, he's Lord of the Sabbath. And so the question is, who do you think knows more about the rules, the regulations, and the purpose of the Sabbath? The Pharisees or the Lord of the Sabbath? I'm going to go with the Lord of the Sabbath, and I think you should too. What does the Lord of the Sabbath say about the Sabbath? He says the Sabbath is what he quoted in Hosea 6, six. It's about mercy, not sacrifice. And if we read Mark's account, this sheds a little bit more light into the situation. What does it say in Mark's account? It says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see the difference between those two? Those are two very different things. Well, what does that mean? It means, is everybody with me here so far? Am I tracking? Okay. What it means is the Sabbath was given by God not to be a 1,500 rule burden upon the people. It was given by God to be a gift of mercy for us. And how is it a gift of mercy? Because it was rest. Rest is a good thing. We need rest. And so Jesus' disciples, and even for David, God's gift of the Sabbath wasn't intended to be burdensome. It wasn't intended to be burdensome back in Moses' day. It wasn't intended to be burdensome in Jesus' day. It was meant for rest. And so, of course, yes, when you're hungry, you can eat on the Sabbath. You're not storing grain by eating food. And, of course, when in the face of starvation on the Sabbath, we can eat like David ate because it's about mercy, not sacrifice. And why? Why? Well, as Jesus points out, because the greater David is here. Because the greater temple is here. And this great one is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's his day. It's his invention. He created it. He knows what it's for and how to use it. And it's for mercy, not sacrifice. And this mercy goes all the way back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, doesn't it? We saw that at the start here. And so the Sabbath... Hear me when I say this. It's not just a ceremonial law that applies strictly to the Jewish people. It's not. It's also a principle that is founded in creation, made by God for us, that is for our rest and for our good. Okay, calm down. I'm going to explain that. The Sabbath law, two things. It's a ceremonial law. We see that. We read the passages from the Old Testament and Exodus that applied... Only to the nation of Israel. Okay? All those rules and regulations, going to specifics, the actual biblical ones, that was just for Israel. However, the general principle that is found in Sabbath is founded in creation. Those are similar, but not the same things, are they? And so then why... This, this explains into us also, so we don't have time to look at these, but this explains also why in the New Testament, over and over and over, Jesus and the other New Testament writers, they're like, knock it off with your Sabbath regulations. We're done with that. We're done with the ceremonial law. Christ fulfilled it. It's done with. Leave it alone. Stop putting burdens on people. It's over with. Don't go back to the law, as Hebrews tells us. Why? Because Christ fulfilled them and now Christ is our Sabbath rest as we closed with last week reading from Hebrews chapter 4. Christ is our rest and we have ultimate total rest in him. So practically then, well at the same time, even though that's true, the Old Testament principle that's founded in Genesis also teaches us that Well, that's all done with, at the same time, the principle of a day of rest is in creation and it's grounded and we'd be foolish to disregard that. So does that make sense? We're done with the ceremony, we're done with the law, but we still have the principle. That's still active. That was active before the law even came, wasn't it? Because we see it in Genesis. And so practically, Christians have always understood this day of rest to mean that we ought to rest one day a week from our labors. And I know we we can spin that round and round and round and get where the Pharisees got, where there's 1,500 regulations on it, But don't miss the tree for the forest. The point is simply that God delights. He blesses us with a day of rest. A day to be free from our labors and activities. What day then must we take off? The Bible doesn't tell us that, does it? It doesn't. However... If you think about it, just practically wisdom-based, if you are able to, it does make sense why Christians have made our day of worship, which is Sunday, that Sabbath day, because it's pretty hard to go to work and go to church at the same time. I haven't found a way to do that yet. Livestream isn't the same thing. But what they have concluded over 2,000 years was to make this day Sunday. Not everyone, but for the most part. Since on that day, we rest from our work, we rest from our labors, and what are we doing? We are specifically, intentionally resting in Christ, not in our labors, and we're doing that together, corporately, with God's people as we worship him, which is actually a picture of the ultimate rest that's coming very, very soon. Now, at the same time, we are not under the Jewish rules and regulations of the Sabbath. I've said that a few times now, so make sure you get that. We're not under that. So some of us, like myself, I have to take a different day of the week off. Some of us uh, work at hospitals that don't shut down on Sundays. And so their Sabbath rest day must be a different day. Churches need preachers, and so preachers like myself have to have a different day of rest, similar to the priests under the temple system who have to labor on that specific day. And why? Not because we want to check the box and get God's favor upon us, but because this day of rest is given as a gift by God for us for our good. You see the difference that we're trying to like make here? It's Mark 2:27: "The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." It's a humongous difference. The difference between this is religion versus relationship. And I know that's been used as a cliche way too much, but I'm not using it as a cliche. What I mean is that in Christ, we have the relationship with God that religion could never bring us. Couldn't. For Christ, who is Lord of the Sabbath, is also greater than the Sabbath. and That is massively important. And this leads us to our last point. Jesus can offer Sabbath rest because not only is he Lord of the Sabbath, but he is greater than the Sabbath. In the Bible, the word Sabbath, what does that even mean? Probably should have started with this. It means deep rest, peace. It's not the same thing, but it's very similar to the word shalom. Shalom means peace with God, or peace, right? And ultimate peace is peace with God. How do we get that peace? Peace. How do we get that rest? Okay, first off, let me ask you. Why do you think it is that God created the rest principle, the Sabbath principle in creation, calling us to rest from our labors once a week? Why? I think it's because, well, let me ask this. Is it because it earns favor with God? Like, if you do this enough, I'll be really happy with you. Is that the reason? Not at all. We've already talked about that. And so if it's not because Sabbath rest earns us favor with God, there's only one other option here if we reverse it. It must be then the other way around. It's because this Sabbath rest makes God earn favor with us. How does it do that? Every single one of us is born restless. Restless. Every single one of us is born without peace with God. We're actually at war with God, what scriptures tell us. We are born without shalom, without the peace of God in our hearts. And yet, what do we naturally all do in our sin-fallen state in response to that restlessness? We strive. We work. We labor. We talked a lot about this last week, but how does this work? Well, some of us, labor in our relationships to find peace with God through our relationships some of us labor in our religion just like the pharisees did trying to find shalom through obedience and law keeping some of us try to find peace through our jobs through our careers and through our work christ tells us this is a mistake it won't bring peace it won't bring rest a preacher, I don't get tired. My job rejuvenates me. I don't, taking a day off is work. Yeah? You don't see the problem with that statement? You're trying to find rest apart from the Lord of the rest. That's why you can't take a day off from work. That's why you can't step back and let it go, because that is your Lord. It's not the Lord of rest. And so trying to rest in Christ, one day a week even, is painful for you. It's irritating for you. That's why you can't keep yourself from working, whether that's an actual job or career, whether that's checking the sports page every five seconds, always being connected to the news, checking constantly how many likes you get on your Facebook or Instagram post, uh, whatever, you get the idea here. We are laboring apart from Christ. We are not resting in Christ. We are laboring, trying to find rest in our labors. Does that make any sense that you can even do that? We can find rest in laboring, rest in working? No. That's doing the Pharisee thing. That's flipping it around. That's taking God's good invention, which is rest, and turning it into unrest. The point is, if you're trying to find your shalom, if you're trying to find your rest apart from the Lord of rest, you're not going to find it. Even if you trick yourself into thinking you found it. Even if you're that person who says, I love to work seven days a week, man, that's, 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 how, I, that's how I roll. It feels good. You're confused. You're deluded. Because you are trying to find rest apart from the Lord of rest. And so like the man in verse 10, with the withered hand, what do we got to do? Reach out to the Lord of the Sabbath and receive the healing rest that only he can give. And you know what? You know the remarkable thing about that? He gives it every single time, without fail. It's remarkable. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, they asked him. Well, what a stupid question that was. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to provide peace and rest to a restless person on the Sabbath? That's why he's like, you, you, you ever read the Old Testament, guys? Like, you know, David with this, you know, he keeps giving them illustrations. Is it lawful to do so? Of course it is. Of course it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about mercy, not sacrifice. The Sabbath is about rest, not religion. Matthew twelve, eleven through thirteen says this He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the voyage of the dawn Treader, Lucy ends up separated from the crew on a magical island that has a tower in it and a spell book that contains a spell that she must read to set the people of the island free from their curse of being forever invisible. And when she finds the incantation, the magical spell that turns all things invisible, visible. All right, nailed it. When she does that, she says it and then she turns and hears the soft sounds of lion paws walking behind her. And she turns around and sees the great Aslan before her. After thanking Aslan for coming in her delight, Aslan tells her, Lucy, I've been here the whole time. But you have just made me visible. Lucy then responds, oh, Aslan, as if anything I could do could make you visible. Aslan then turns her and replies, oh, but it did, Lucy. Do you think I wouldn't obey my own rules? Church, the reason that we can find rest on the Sabbath in the Lord of the rest is because like Aslan, Christ follows his own rules. Think back to what we saw in Matthew chapter 5. This is why that text there was so important for understanding this text here. Christ didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it, to complete it. How did Christ fulfill it? By living the perfect life that was entirely at perfect peace with God. And this was the life that you and I ought to have lived, and we never could. And because Christ lived this perfect life that we never could, he was able to exchange his shalom for our unrest. He was able to give up his rest for our unrest. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, Jesus says. And don't you see why? Because Christ is the sacrifice that brings us mercy. And because Christ is, and only because Christ is, that we restless souls can reach out with our spiritually withered hands and receive complete and total healing, rest from God. We can receive peace. We can receive shalom. Are you struggling today to find rest in Christ? Maybe you think you have it, but you really don't now that you look at this text more closely. Maybe you think that if you reach out, Christ will not respond with healing, and so you cling on to the things of this world, your job, your career, those special relationships, and you try to find shalom and rest in those, because you're not totally convinced Christ will actually give you the shalom that he offers. If so, don't respond like the Pharisees did. Trust him and reach out by faith. Don't you think he will obey his own rules? He will. course he will on the cross we see the proof of christ's willingness to obey his own rules on the cross it shows us just how far christ was willing to go to obey them so that he could be the lord of rest who alone brings us shalom and so if you are here if you are restless stop trying to find rest in things that will not bring it and said term Turn to the Lord of the Sabbath, who alone brings rest. Father, I thank you for this text today. Father, I just pray for the one here who either realizes that they are unrestful, or they don't realize it, and they think they have rest. as They are trying to find rest in the things of the world instead of Christ. Father, I pray that through the foolishness of preaching that this text would have a powerful impact upon your people, that over the next days and weeks that we would be thinking about and applying this to our own lives. So, Father, we just ask that by the power of your Spirit that we would walk in these things, that we would be changed by them, that our affections for the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory. Father, help us now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Just stand with us as we sing our closing song, Be Still My Soul, which is really what we are trying to do when we practice Sabbath rest. We're trying to still our soul from the distractions of the world.